Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week, we're doing an archive show. We have pulled out a Boomer Boulevard show that was first broadcast on the 14th of August back in 2017. And we hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. Chester, you look red as a beet. Are you sore? Oh. Chester has been out at the public pool all day, right? You start what time? 9 o'clock this morning. And I'm recording this at 5.25 p.m. So he's been out there laying in this. Why, Why did you stay that long? Why? Labor Day's still three weeks. He says the pool's going to be closing soon. See, you folks that live in California and Florida and Arizona, you don't you don't get that. We only have pools open from Memorial Day to Labor Day in the rest of the country. So it's three months. And Chester wants to get as much as he can. All right, well, I hope you can run the controls back there. Yeah, you look sore. Well, hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. This is the old-time radio show where we play programs that we actually remember from when we were kids because we're baby boomers. Now, you might think, I don't remember listening to radio shows. Well, maybe you didn't. Maybe you watched some of these same shows on television. Shows like Our Miss Brooks and The Jack Benny Show and Gunsmoke. Yeah, you remember those. I remember listening to a number of them on radio. My mother always had the radio on in the kitchen. I personally find in most cases the radio presentations were better than the TV presentations. But I'm glad you came along. It's a beautiful day and we have a great lineup. We have an episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. We're going to follow that up with a show that we have not played before entitled My Favorite Husband starring Lucille Ball. We talked a little bit about it last week, so this week we're actually going to play one of the episodes. It's in good sound quality, and of course, as we always do, we're going to finish up on the streets of Dodge City, Kansas, with an episode of Gunsmoke called Dirty Bill's Girl. If that doesn't keep you around, I don't know what would. <laughs> that sounds like a fun episode, Dirty Bill's Girl, and it is. It's a good one. So that's our lineup for this week, I hope. You're all ready to settle in. Uh, Maybe get your feet up there on the divan. 
Uh, get yourself something cool to drink because we're going to get started in just a moment. I do want to give you a warm welcome. Um, it's amazing. I have been doing this podcast now, what, for just a couple of months. And of course, I've been doing the show for many years on Yesterday USA. I did it for a while on uh, Jerry Hendigas Network. I, well, there's a lot of outlets that I have my show has played on over the years. I've always had a number of people writing to me and following me that were old-time radio fans. But get this, since this, since we've gone into podcast, in the last seven days, 14 days, the last 14 days, we have had 49 listeners in Canada, 10 in Ireland, 5 in the United Kingdom. We've had listeners in Germany, Argentina, Uruguay, Algeria, Indonesia, Guyana, Kenya, Australia, and then it just says 35 other countries. Can you imagine that? And I just thank you so much. It just makes me makes me smile to think that there's somebody in Guyana right now listening to uh, to the show. If you are listening from a foreign port or any place for that matter, send me an email, would you, just to let me know where you are. Uh, my uh, email address is bob at boomerboulevard.com. Couldn't be much easier than that. Bob at boomerboulevard.com. And I sure would like to hear from some of these folks in Argentina and Uruguay and Algeria. Oh, man, Algeria. Wow, that really conjures up an image of mystery, doesn't it? Algeria, Indonesia, Kenya, Australia. Always wanted to go to Australia. Always wanted to go below the uh, equator. Never been below the equator. As far south as I have been is um, Curaçao. And it's just, I don't know, what, 30, 40 miles north of uh, Venezuela in South America. But that's still well above the equator. Always would like to see what the southern sky looks like. To actually look up and see a sky that is totally unfamiliar to me would be, I don't know, that would be a real trip. But anyway, again, I am so gratified that so many of you are listening, and uh, it just just warms my heart. And if you could send me a note, boy, I would appreciate it. I really would. Let me know where you're at. All right, we're going to start things up off this week. Up this week, we're going to start things off this week with a little radio noir and a little yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
Yeah, to kick things off this week, we are going to have an episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, which originally was uh, broadcast on September the 21st, 1958 on CBS. This one's called the Johnson Payroll Matter. Now, (laughs) I never like to say I love Johnny Dollar, especially with Bob Bailey. One of my favorite shows, really it is. But this one, I don't know, the plot was just a little weak. I know they didn't have a lot of time to develop a really complicated story, but this one just seems a little thin. See what you think. And while you're listening to this, Johnny once again goes to California. And of course, he's home-based in Hartford, Connecticut. Now, I don't know if he went down to New York to catch a flight or or if he took a flight from Hartford. My guess is he went down to New York. But notice the airfare that he paid. Now, you're probably thinking, oh, I bet it was so cheap back then compared to today. You know, I mean, back then you could get, a what, a pound of ground beef in 1958 for probably 29 cents a pound. And now it's, you know, going to be 4.49 a pound or higher. But uh, you might be surprised. You might be surprised, so pay attention to that. We'll talk a little bit about that on the other side. So here we go. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, the Johnson Payroll Matter. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Pat McCracken, Johnny, Universal Adjustment Bureau. Oh, hi, Pat. What's on your mind? At the moment, you. Huh? Johnny, you've been working too hard. Oh, this I've been convinced of for years, Pat, but I've never been able to convince anybody else, especially you. Okay, I'm convinced. What you need is a nice vacation, all expenses paid. Whoa, whoa. Southern California is very nice this time of year. I just came back from there. The beaches, the swimming, sun, golf. Look, Pat, thanks a lot, but no thanks. Well, now, Johnny... The last time you invited me to take one of your vacations, I got hit over the head, almost run down by a truck, and kicked around by a guy seven feet tall. Yeah, but this one's different, Johnny. It's a real simple job. Oh, they all are, according to you. All I want you to do is pick up something out on the coast and bring it back here. That's all. Yeah, what? A hundred thousand dollars. Oh. Oh. I'll be right over. Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. The Universal Adjustment Bureau, Hartford, Connecticut. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Johnson payroll matter. Expense account item one, $1.25 cab fare from my apartment at the office of Universal Adjustment Bureau in Pat McCracken. thousand bucks made you prick up your ears, Johnny. <laughs> Sit down. Okay, Pat. What's the deal? You hear about the Johnson payroll robbery last week down in New York? I read about it, but there weren't too many details. They got a hundred thousand, and the payroll was insured by one of the companies we represent. How many in on the robbery, do you know? Oh, no, we're not sure. There were several. 
One of them was fatally wounded. Was he able to talk before he died? Yeah, just enough to tell us the plan was to split up after the robbery, meet in another city to divvy up the loot. Uh-huh. And you think it's out in California now? We also think one of the crooks may be trying to double-cross the others. Hiding out from them, maybe? That's the general idea. We got a call from Los Angeles this morning. Fellow wouldn't give his name. But he claimed he could give us a lead on the one who has the dough. For a price, of course. Oh. So you're to meet him in L.A. and find out what he knows, if anything. What do you figure his angle is, Pat? Well, maybe several, Johnny, but I don't care. What I do care about is getting the money back. All right. How do I contact this man in Los Angeles? You don't. He'll contact you at your hotel, the Nestor. The Nestor. Okay, Pat. I'm on my way. Oh, just one thing, Johnny. Yeah? Maybe it's occurred to you. Maybe it hasn't. There will be others looking for that money, too. The other guys involved in the robbery? Yeah. Of course, if you can get there first... I'll try. Oh, and don't bother telling me to be sure to get back here in one piece. Hmm? That I'll really try to do. Expense account item two, $187 even, air transportation and incidentals to Los Angeles. I've been told to stay at the Hotel Nestor, so I took a cab that's item three, five fifty from the airport. It was just getting dark as my cab pulled up in front of the place. Before I could get out, somebody got in. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know this cab was occupied. Well, that's okay. Welcome aboard. Here, I'll get out. Oh! Oh, It's okay. I've got you. Sorry, I lost my balance. Must have got my heel. Uh, You may be sorry, but I'm not. I can't think of a better way to arrive in a strange city than with a beautiful girl in your arms. You'll let go of me. Oh, Oh, yeah. Well, if you insist. Thanks. I'm sorry. Oh, wait a minute. You can have this gear as soon as I get my stuff out. Oh, that's all right. I'm in a hurry. I'll get another one. Goodbye. Wait a second. I mean, after all... Oh, well. Yeah, that's the story of my life. The best ones always seem to get away. I went into the hotel lobby to register, but found a message waiting for me from the informant who'd phoned to Pat. I was to drive to the little town of Corrado Beach down the coast and meet a man there first thing in the morning. There was a map showing me the way to a small pier where the meeting was to take place. Hmm. Looked like Los Angeles had suddenly got too hot for him. Expense account item four, $50 to rent a car. I left word where I'd be, drove to Corrado Beach, and checked in at a motel. Then early next morning, I went out to the little pier. It was a ramshackle affair with a couple of beat-up boats tied to it and an old character fumbling with the door of a little bait shack. I went over to him. Hi. Morning. Having trouble? Yeah, some kid's been monkeying with this lock. You want some bait? No, no. This is one trip I didn't come to fish. How is it, by the way? Fishing? Yeah, fine. Oh, just my luck. No, I'm supposed to meet somebody here. Oh, must be that fellow out there. He was already there when I got here. Oh, where? Well, do you see that boat, the bottom side up on the pier near the end? You mean the man sitting beside her? Yeah. Got himself a fishing rod, looks like. Could be he wants some bait. I'll, uh, I'll walk out with you and see if you don't mind. No, not at all. So the fishing's been good, huh? What have they been catching? Oh, quite a few bass last couple of days. Off the pier? Yeah. There's some kelp beds in close. Brings men around here. Funny. Hmm? Your friend there, you don't seem... Hey, sleep, I guess. Hey, watch out, he's slipping. Grab him. You got him. But, hmm. Hey, mister, 
Mister, he he isn't sleeping. That's right. He's dead. I'd flown 3,000 miles to meet a man, only to find him dead at the end of a rickety little pier at Corrado Beach, a knife between his ribs. I searched him while the old fellow at the bait shack went to call the police. But I didn't find a thing on him to help me. No identification, even. Later, talking to the police, well, they didn't have any line on him either. My only lead on the payroll robbery was dead. I waited around the motel most of the day, hoping the police could turn up something on the dead man, but it was no soap. Item five, two dollars for drinks in the town's only bar while I tried to figure out my next move. And my next move was to the phone booth in the corner to call Pat McCracken back in Hartford. Collect. Oh, tough luck, Johnny. But are you sure the dead man is our informant? There was no identification on him, but he was right where he told me he'd be in the message he left for me in L.A. Uh, probably not much doubt about it, then. Oh, incidentally, I sent some mug shots out to you. Some men yeah. might have been involved in the Johnson payroll job. Send them airmail special. Yeah, I got them about an hour ago. We're not sure if any of them are the ones or not, and we don't have any line at all on the leader of the gang. Well, what's your next move, John? Uh, search me. Right now, I'm right in the middle of nowhere. I guess I... Hey, wait a minute. What's the matter? Maybe I'm not out of leads after all. What do you mean? Pat, I'll call you later. <laughs> What pulled me off that phone in a hurry was a glimpse of somebody over near one end of the bar. I slid out of the booth and went over. Well, hi. What? Imagine meeting you here. I'm afraid I don't know what you're talking about. You're the girl who got into my cab in Los Angeles. I I'm afraid you're confusing me with somebody else. I'm sorry. No, I have no, to go. No, no, just a minute. I'm beginning to think it wasn't just coincidence you got into my cab. Maybe we'd better have a little talk. Please, go over my arm. You've made a mistake, and there's nothing to talk about. Is he annoying you, lady? Now, look, bartender, I'm just trying yes, to find... Yes, he is annoying me. Take your hands off her, buddy. Now, look, Joe. I mean it, and my name ain't Joe. I got you outweighed by about 40 pounds, buddy. You don't understand. Just let go of her, and we'll talk it over. I... Okay, okay. Thank you. Now, just what is it I don't understand, buddy? Skip it. Buddy. So she got away from me. I grabbed my top coat off a hook and stepped outside the bar. It was damp and foggy out there. I put on the coat and started looking around for her, but it was too late. She was just plain gone. Then walking along with my hands in my coat pockets, I realized there was something in one. A key to a motel room, but not mine. Then I remembered I'd had the coat beside me in the taxi when the girl climbed in back in Los Angeles. Yeah, she could have slipped it in the coat pocket then. Why? Well, that's what I wanted to find out. I looked up the motel. It was about a mile down the highway from mine, room seven. Yeah, the key fit all right. Then as I opened the door, I realized I had company right behind me. Freeze, Dollar. Huh? Who are you? Never mind. Inside, move. Okay. Get that blind down. Okay. Oh, wait a minute. 
Your face looks familiar. Yeah, those mug shots McCracken sent me. You must be Slattery. Right boy. One of the guys they suspect of pulling the Johnson payroll job. Too bright for your own good dollar. You must be the one who killed the man out on the pier. The man who was going to tell me where the payroll door is. That's a nice stall, Dollar, but it won't work. What do you mean, Slattery? Blake killed him, and you know it. Yeah? Who is Blake? You want to play it coy, huh, Dollar? Okay, we'll do it your way. Blake's got the payroll door, and you're working with him. Just how do you figure that? Blake's girlfriend climbed in your taxi in Los Angeles. I figure she slipped you the key to this room. Hey, look, you got a few things all twisted. Shut up and stand still. This gun has a habit of going off sometimes. No kidding. So where's the dough? Take it or leave it, Slattery. I don't know. Well, it better be in this room. Yeah? And if it isn't? You guess. I don't think I need more than one. If it isn't here, I'm not leaving. Is that the idea? Oh, you leave, all right. It's just that you won't be walking out of here. Slattery, you've torn this motel room completely apart. Obviously, that payroll money isn't here. That's right, Deller. So now you're going to tell me where it is. Oh, brother, you take a lot of convincing. I told you, I don't know. So why don't you put that gun away and listen? You're the one who takes the convincing, Deller, so I start convincing. Oh, That's not going to do you any good. No? Well, for sure, it's not going to do you any good, so... Now, wait a minute, look. Look, I'll give you the whole story. And I'm supposed to believe it, huh? Staring down that gun barrel, I'm not about to lie... Let's have it. All right. A guy called us from Los Angeles, said he could give us a lead on who had the dough from the Johnson payroll job. It was Hollis. He was hoping you'd lead him to it. Hollis? Yeah, yeah, the guy you found out in the pier dead. And you said a man named Blake killed him. You know Blake killed him. You know Blake engineered the holdup and then ran out on Hollis and me. Do I? Sure, because you're in with him. I seen his girl get in your cab in Los Angeles. Okay, so she got in my cab, but I didn't know her. I'd never seen her before. She slipped you the key to this motel room, didn't she? Yeah, now I think I know why. She was trying to sidetrack us. Lead us to think the dough was here so it would take the pressure off Blake and her. That part of your story I don't buy, Dollar. I think you know where that dough is and I want it. Now look. Talk! If you think I'm going to take any more of this. This gun says that's exactly what you're going to do until you decide to talk. I roll with this next one. And let my eyes droop when my knees sag. He reached out to steady me, and I gave my left foot in the stomach to flatten it. By the time he got to his feet, I was out the door. I dove behind some bushes down the road, and I waited. He pounded right on past me, gun in hand. I waited until he was out of sight, then doubled back to my car. Apparently, Slattery didn't know Blake's girl was around here somewhere. One thing was sure, I had to find her, but fast. There were only three motels in town. The one I was staying at, the one where Slattery had been playing patty cake on my jaw, and a third off the highway near the beach. I drove to that one and checked the register. It showed a minor grant in number eight. Oh. Hello, Minor. No, please get out. Oh, no, sorry. We're going to have that talk right now. I tell you, you've made a mistake about me. Oh, come on. Drop the act, Minor. I know you're Blake's girlfriend, that you slipped that motel key in my coat pocket in L.A. to get me off the trail of the Johnson payroll money. 
The what? I also know that Blake masterminded the robbery and double-crossed his buddy, held out on him. Oh, I... I guess I knew it must be something like that. What are you talking about? Mr. Dollar, I... I haven't known Fred Blake very long. A month, maybe. I didn't know what he did for a living, and I didn't ask him. Two days ago, he said he was in trouble and needed my help. He wanted me to slip that key into your coat pocket in the taxi in Los Angeles. To take Slattery off his trail. Then he told me to meet him here at the beach. When I saw you in the bar a while ago, I got panicky. I didn't know what to do. But that's all I know about it. Mr. Dollar, I didn't know Blake was a criminal. Honestly, I didn't. Yeah? Then will you help me find him? Yes. I will, Mr. Dollar. If I can. The trouble is, right now, I don't know where he is any more than you do. folks. Hey, wait a minute, buddy. Ain't you the one that was molesting this young lady an hour ago? Oh, Tarzan, buddy, my molesting days are over. Oh, it's all right, bartender. I'm sorry I caused you the trouble. No trouble, ma'am. Just glad it turned out all right. Things uh, happen fast here at the beach, I guess. I don't suppose you've ever heard of a guy named Fred Blake, have you? Not that I remember. You looking for him? Yeah. What's he look like? Medium height, uh, dark hair, and brown eyes, yeah. Regular features. Yeah, that description would fit half the guys that come in here. Sure, fishermen, salesmen, vacation. Only that kind don't come in here anymore. Salesmen? No, fishermen. I thought the fishing was good here. Been no fishing around here for months. Huh? A fella told me they were getting a lot of bass right off the pier. <laughs> it was pulling your leg, buddy. There's a chemical plant nearby. A lot of stuff got dumped into the water by accident a few months ago. The fish haven't been back since. Wait a minute. Sure, right under my nose all the time. What do you mean, Johnny? Martin, I'll see you later. I got in my car and headed for the pier. As I turned off the highway, I could see a car a couple of hundred yards back following me with its lights off. But I couldn't stop now. I parked near the pier and headed for the bait shack. The windows were still boarded over, but I could see a crack of light between the boards. I eased over to the shack. Oh, no. I flattened against the wall as the door came open and Blake came out with a gun. I hacked it out of his hand. What? All right, Dollar. hold it, hold it, Blake. Well, the fisherman's friend, huh? Look, you it... killed that guy on the end of the pier just before I showed up this morning. You didn't have time to leave, so you're covered by making like you worked here. Then it occurred to you this was a pretty good hideout until Slattery got off your trail. Look, look, maybe we can make a deal, Dollar. Oh, we're going to. You turn the stolen money over to me, and I turn you over to the police. Drop your gun, Dollar. Huh? Drop it. Okay, Slattery. <laughs> Hello, Blake. Glad to see me. Look, Slattery, I, I wasn't trying to cross you. I, I was going to get in touch with you when things quieted down. <laughs> sure you were. Let's have the dough. Uh, all right, it, it's in the shack. Blake half turned, and I saw his hand slide into his coat, a second gun. He whipped it out, but Slattery had seen it, too. He got Blake, but his eyes were off me for a lucky second. I checked Blake. He was still alive. Yeah, they'd both keep for a long time. Item six, $174 even, air transportation and incidentals back home. Expense account total, $526.50. Remarks? 
The payroll money is back where it belongs. And Slattery and Blake are back where they belong, with Blake facing a murder rap to boot. Funny, I probably wouldn't have nailed him if he hadn't told me that phony story about the fish biting near the pier. Teaches me a lesson, Pat. I'm not going to tell any more fish stories. They can kill you. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Now, here's our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, a pair of common, ordinary glasses solve a case for us. The gruesome spectacle matter. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood and is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Today's story was written by Robert Stanley. Heard in our cast were Virginia Gregg, Lawrence Dobkin, Forrest Lewis, Shepard Menken, and Frank Gerstel. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Roy Rowan speaking. That was yours truly, Johnny Dollar, from September the 21st, 1958, on CBS. The name of that episode was the Johnson Payroll Matter. Well, what did you think? Did you think it was a pretty good plot, or was it a little little weak? I guess it would be hard to crank out those scripts week after week after week and make them even a little complex, but this one just seemed seemed kind of uh, shallow to me. At any rate, did you notice the airfare I was talking about? Let me bring up my notes here. Johnny went from Hartford to Los Angeles, or maybe from New York to Los Angeles. I'm not sure. I think they said his fare was $187, if I'm not mistaken. It was 180-something. And when he flew back, his fare was $170. I believe that's correct, $170 and change. And he rented a car. Now, they didn't say for how long he rented the car, but I assume he rented a car for a day. I don't think he'd rent it for a week. He paid $50 for a rental car. Now, this was in 1958. All right. How do those prices compare with today? Well, if you were to fly southwest from uh, Hartford, Connecticut to uh, Los Angeles, the fare would be $172. Now, granted, that's the cheapest fare. If you, you know, flew at the last minute like Johnny did, it would probably be considerably higher. But still, think about that. You can actually fly from the East Coast to the West Coast today for the same price approximately that you could fly it in 1958. Now, how about on the rental car? And by the way, American Airlines had a round-trip fare of $291, which would only be, what, $145.50 each way? Pretty amazing. I remember when I left home in 1968, which was 10 years after Johnny Dollar, I flew from L.A. to New York, and I did that for back and forth during the four years I was living in New York. It was $149 one way. That just amazes me that the airfare was about the same. How about a rental car? Today, if you go to Los Angeles, you can rent a car for $25 a day, a full-size car. If you go with one of the major companies like Hertz, Avis, and whatnot, they started about $39 a day. So there's still still cheaper or about the same 
as they were back then. And that just just really amazes me. Also, I wondered what Johnny had uh, flown on in 1958. If he was flying across country, would he have been on a jet? According to my research, da-da-da-da, this is from, uh, what's the name of this website? It's America by Air. Very fascinating website. But it says that introduced by American on its New York to Los Angeles route in 1953, the DC-7 was the first airliner to provide transcontinental service nonstop in both directions. It would carry 60 passengers between the two cities in less than eight hours for $158 one way, $302 round trip. And the first jet didn't go into service. Go into this same, uh, same website. It says jet passenger service began in the United States in the late 1950s with the introduction of the Boeing 707 and Douglas DC-8 airliners. The DC-8, by the way, was built just about two miles, three miles from my house where I grew up in Long Beach, California. Used to watch those planes. Be, and a lot of people obviously were employed by Douglas. But it says Pan American introduced overseas flights on 707s in October of 1958. So a month after Johnny, this episode of Johnny Dollar. National Airlines soon began domestic jet service using a 707 that they borrowed from Pan Am. Then it says American Airlines opened domestic jet service with its own 707s in January of 59. Delta and United began flying DC-8s later that year. So when Johnny was going across country for $170, whatever it was, he wasn't even on a jet because jet service transcontinental didn't start for another year. So I just thought you might find that interesting because I found it interesting. I just find it fascinating. All right, more yours truly, Johnny Dollar, will be coming up in the weeks ahead. Give me a ticket for an aeroplane Ain't got time to take a fast train Lonely days are gone, I'm a-going home My baby just wrote me a letter I don't care how much money I gotta spend Got to get back to my baby Lonely days are gone, I'm a-going home My baby just wrote me a letter Time to take it. 
All my bags are packed, I'm ready to go I'm standing here outside your door I hate to wake you up to say goodbye But the dawn is breaking, it's early morn The taxi's waiting, he's blown his horn Already I'm so lonesome I could die So kiss me and smile for me Tell me that you'll wait for me Hold me like you never let me go times I've let you down, so many times I've played around, I tell you now they don't mean a thing, every place I go I think of you, every song I sing I'll sing for you, when I come back I'll bring your wedding ring. Tell me that you'll wait for me Hold me like you'll never let me go That first song was The Box Tops from 1967 with a song called The Letter, talking about uh, buying an airplane ticket. And then we followed that up with John Denver's hit of Leaving on a Jet Plane, which came out just a few years later. Something familiar. Something peculiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Ah! Something appealing. 
something appalling, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Nothing with kings, nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Ah! Situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Well, this week on the Comedy Corner, we're going to do a show we've never done before. It's My Favorite Husband, and it stars Lucille Ball as Liz Cooper, and Richard Denning plays her husband, George Cooper. Now, the show was originally designed as a special, just a one-night special, but it was uh, put in the place of Armis Brooks when Armis Brooks was having some production problems. Uh, for its original debut program, and the audience response was so great that CBS greenlighted uh, a regular series. On the original uh, show, the characters were named George and Liz Cougat, but there was some problem with Xavier Cougat or some such thing, and so they changed their names to Cooper in the third episode. And by the way, it was in the third episode that Jell-O was acquired as a sponsor. And You'll see this is one of the shows where the sponsor had a lot of input into the actual show. And you'll notice at the beginning when uh, Lucille Ball is introduced, she says, Jell-O, everybody, instead of hello, everybody. And there's a number of other Jell-O ads in here. And notice even during the music, the musical interludes, they will incorporate the Jell-O theme song. And at the end of every show, there was about a two or three minute Jell-O plug that was designed to be part of the comedy of the show. Sort of reminiscent of what Jack Benny did with the Sportsman Quartet. The um, other thing that I found interesting about this show, or that is significant to us, is last week, or two shows back now, we played Granby's Green Acres. And that was technically a spinoff of this show. That show had Gail Gordon and B. Benaderet as the Granby's. But Gail Gordon and B. Benaderet were first teamed up in this show, and they played Mr. Rudolph Atterbury and his wife, Iris Atterbury. And they didn't keep those names in the Granby show, but he was a banker, and he's a banker in this. He plays George's boss, president of the bank. So we'll see why they were such a popular duo that they decided to do a spinoff with them. All right? Well, this is a good one. So here we go. By the way, one other thing. The uh, subject on this one has to do with women's rights. And it was during 1950 and again in 1953 that the Senate in the United States passed an equal rights bill to be voted on to become an amendment to the Constitution. I believe it would have been the 22nd Amendment. And so this was much in the news in 1950. And so that will set the tone of our program tonight. And then we'll talk a little bit about what happened with that bill on the other side of the show. So here we go. My favorite husband from March the 3rd, 1950. And the name of this episode is Women's Rights, Part 1. It's time for My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Yes, it's the Gay Family series starring Lucille Ball with Richard Denning, transcribed and brought to you by the Jell-O family of desserts. J-E-L-L, 
And now Lucille Ball with Richard Denning as Liz and George Cooper, two people who live together and like it. As we look in on the Coopers, it's Wednesday evening, and they're getting ready to go out to dinner with Mr. Atterbury and his wife, Iris. As usual, George is dressed on time and is going in to see how Liz is doing. Let's see that green dress, Katie. Yes, ma'am. Oh, Liz, you're still in your slip. George, I just discovered something terrible. I, I haven't, haven't a, a thing, thing to, to wear. wear. <laughs> you know, Liz, I'm getting a little tired of that song. Why does it cost me so much each month to keep you in nothing? <laughs> Mrs. Cooper, now is the time. Not yet, Kitty. Why can't you ever be ready on time? And how long have the Atterbury's been waiting? Well, they're not here yet. Hmm. Unfortunately, uh, Mr. Atterbury is also married to a woman. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's time now, isn't it, Mrs. Cooper? No. Hey, what are you doing, teaching Katie to tell time? <laughs> now, Liz, put on a dress and get downstairs. That's an order. Oh, now is the time, Katie. George, I don't have to take that kind of talk from you anymore. Neither do I. What? Apparently, you haven't heard that Congress is passing a law giving women equal rights with men. Yeah. Katie. <laughs> oh, women's rights. Is that up again? Well, forget it. Oh, no. The 22nd Amendment is going through if we have to fight it to the finish. And we will. Yeah. Put up your dukes. Katie, <laughs> now don't get carried away. I'll handle this. You'd better go downstairs now, Katie. As an employee? Yes, sir. As a woman? <laughs> now get dressed, Liz Yes, master You better enjoy your power while you've got it, Mr. Man It won't be long now Oh, it won't? No, sir When Congress passes that amendment, I'll no longer be an enslaved woman I'll be a free man <laughs> Well, it'll be interesting Maybe you and I can go out some night and pick up a couple of girls. Very funny. Zip my dress, please. George, did you know that in certain states there are jobs I couldn't hold because I'm a woman? No. What, for instance? In some states, I couldn't work in a blast furnace. In others, I couldn't work in a bowling alley. And right here in our own state, I can't shine shoes. Shameful It's true Wait a minute I want to read you something in this magazine Here it is It is time the women of the world Stop being chattel Arise, assert yourselves And soon the country will resound To the ringing of the liberty bell Ringing out for women's freedom There it is To arms, to arms Liz, that's the doorbell Oh. Who is it, Katie? Mr. Atterbury and his whimpering slave. Now, that'll be enough from both of you. 
Hi, Mr. Atterbury. Hello, Iris. Liz girl, George boy. Hi, folks. George boy, Liz girl. Run in. What was that you had on the radio when we came up to the door? It sounded exciting. Radio? Yeah. Someone was saying, to arms, to arms. Oh, that. That was Pauline Revere. <laughs> Liz is off on a kick about women's rights. I suppose you've been getting it too, Mr. Atterbury. Uh, well, let's go eat. We're late. <laughs> women's rights? Sure, Iris. You know, that amendment they're putting through Congress. We're going to be free, Iris. Free! We are? <laughs> you must have read about it. It's been in the news for weeks. Well, let's go eat. We're late. <laughs> oh, that explains it. For the last month, somebody's been cutting things out of our paper. <laughs> Why, Mr. Atterbury. Well, let's go eat. We're late. <laughs> Rudolph. Just trying to keep you from getting any silly ideas, Lotus Bud. Uh -huh. Tell me more about this, Liz. Well, it means new freedom for women, Iris. We're going to be equal to men. We'll be able to do things we've never been able to do before. Hooray! <laughs> like what? <laughs> oh, you stick with Liz and you can be a pin girl at the bowling alley. <laughs> Or you can work in a blast furnace. All right, fellas. I even heard on the radio that women will be allowed to drive on the same side of the street as men. <laughs> Don't pay any attention to them, Iris. From now on, women aren't going to be just women anymore. We're going to be people. Hooray! Once the House of Representatives passes this bill, there will no longer be any difference between men and women. Hey, that doesn't sound right, does it? <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, let's not rush into this, Liz. Well, I guess it means legally. Um, the women of the world are at last throwing off their chains. Iris, this is a revolt. You hear that, Rudolph? From now on, I'm revolting. Don't answer that. <laughs> I didn't say anything. Get that smirk off your face. <laughs> well, shall we start it right here in our own home? Start what? Iris and I want equal rights with you men. Yeah. You might as well get used to it. We want the same treatment as though we were men. All right. Okay, it's fine with me. How about you, Mr. Atterbury? Fine, fine. Let's go to dinner, George. Okay. How about you, fellas? <laughs> We're coming. I, uh, I made a reservation in the green room. Oh, I love it there. Uh, George, my coat's in the hall closet. Oh, that's nice. Come on, Mr. Atterbury. George, I said my coat was in the closet. Well, go get it, Buster. You're a big boy now. <laughs> oh. I hope we won't be too late to get a table. 
What's up, <laughs> laughing boy? I just remembered a story I heard at the office today. Oh, it's a pip. <laughs> come here, come here, everybody, come here. <laughs> uh, what is it? Well, uh, two fellows, see, worked in a lumber camp, and they'd been there about six months. I when don't they just... like the way this sounds, Rudolph. <laughs> yeah, is it fit for mixed company? Mixed company? I should say not. Luckily, there's just the four of us boys. <laughs> I'm glad there aren't any ladies present. <laughs> Go ahead, Mr. Atterbury. Yeah, yeah. Well, after they worked there about six months, they went into town. See, uh, one of come them on, let's go. Yeah, 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 we're late. We're late. Uh, here, George, help me out with my coat. What? Help me out with my coat. Mr. Atterbury, did I ever help you on with your coat? Never. Sorry, Liz, can't touch it. Equal rights, you know. All right, George Cooper, go ahead, have your fun. But there's such a thing as common politeness. Open the door. Mr. Atterbury. Oh, thank you, George boy. Well, after you, Iris. Why, that big oaf! He slammed the door in my face. Well, I'll give him what quiet, for. Quiet, quiet, Iris. They're probably listening outside the door to see if we're mad. They'll be back. Hey, they're going off without us! As we return to our little experiment on equal rights for women, we find that Liz and Iris, who have demanded these rights, have caught up with their husbands and, in fact, have just finished a bountiful dinner. A meal like that deserves a good cigar. Care for a cigar, boy? Yeah, thanks. Don't mind if I do. Cigar, Iris? Ha, <laughs> ha. Cigar, Liz? Joke's over, Rudolph. Uh, thanks, Mr. Atterbury. Don't mind if I do. Liz! Who says women can't smoke cigars? Well, nobody says so, but, but, but they just don't. Well, things are going to be different from now on. Oh, now look, Liz. Oh, no, no, no. Let her alone, boy. This should be interesting. <laughs> Here you are, Liz. Thank you. Hmm. Smells good. Yeah, it'll smell even better if you take the cellophane off. <laughs> Okay, what do I do now? You bite off the end. Wise guy, huh? <laughs> Come on, what do I do now? He's serious, Liz. You're supposed to bite off the end. Oh, well, okay. There. Now give me a light, bud. Hey, hey, wait a minute, Liz. What did you do with the end of the cigar? Huh? Oh. <laughs> what did you do with the end you bit off? I swallowed it. <laughs> You're supposed to throw that little end away Well, it's a fine time to tell me <laughs> I thought the tip was the best part That's a cigar, not a piece of asparagus <laughs> Now, here's a light Thanks How is it, Liz? I think I'll try one. Oh, it's great Just great There's nothing like a good cigar <laughs> Liz, are you all right? Oh, it's great. Really great, Iris. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
never mind. I just canceled my order. <laughs> they are a little stronger than the chocolate ones I learned on. Well, shall we go? I think we're all finished. Uh, care for anything else, Liz? A pipe, rub down, aftershave lotion? <laughs> Thank you, no. <laughs> oh, uh, waiter, waiter. Yes, sir? Something else for you? Uh, could we have the check, please? Yes, sir, I'll add it right away. Uh, make it four separate checks. Yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> I beg your pardon. Uh, you heard him. Four separate checks. Right away, sir. Rudolph, what do you think you're doing? Equal rights, lotus bud, equal rights. <laughs> Well, I don't suppose you're going to pay for my dinner either, George. And take away your constitutional freedom? Oh, I wouldn't do a thing like that to you, Liz. Thanks. And I would order lobster thermidor instead of hamburger. <laughs> well, uh, here's my money, waiter. Yes, sir. And here's mine. Iris, uh, pay my check, will you? Well, I came out without a cent. I'm going to have to put the bite on you for some money. You took the bite right out of my mouth. <laughs> well, d d don't you have any money either? Not even mad money. Uh, George. Yeah? George, will you lend us some money on a strictly business basis? Well, Mrs. Cooper, I don't handle the loan department. Uh, let me refer you to the president of our bank, Mr. Atterbury. We're dead. <laughs> Mr. Atterbury, uh, this young lady would like to see you about a loan. Oh, fine, fine. The bank is always happy to make a loan to responsible people. Oh, thank you, Mr. Atterbury. Uh, you have some identification? Oh, now, really? Well, you have an honest face. I, I think the loan can be arranged. I should hope so. Just come down and see our credit manager first thing in the morning. Oh! <laughs> well, Liz, now what do we do? Madam, this check must be taken care of. Keep your apron on, bud. It will be. Just hand us a dish towel and lead us to the kitchen. Come on, Iris. Gentlemen. Gosh, I wish I could help them, don't you, George? Yes, if they were poor, defenseless women, we could. Aren't they women? <laughs> no. What are they? People. <laughs> huh? Goodness sake, sit down, boy. Stop pacing the floor. Well, we've been home a long time, Mr. Atterbury, and the girls aren't here yet. Don't worry. They'll be here soon, dragging their equal rights behind them. <laughs> uh, I think this should have taught them a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny to see their faces as they marched off into the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with Iris rolling up the sleeves on her coat. <laughs> Those mink are going to have dishpan paws tomorrow. <laughs> oh, I can just see them. Yeah, yeah, so can I. Oh, we're a couple of top-notch nasties, boy. <laughs> well, they asked for it. <laughs> <laughs> He'd go to a Turkish bath. Want to go? <laughs> he 
would not. He'd go out and have himself a gay old time, call up his wife and tell her he was working late. If we use a nickel to call up, one of us will have to run home and back of the streetcar. <laughs> Iris, let's do it. We'll call up and give them a little of their own medicine. Come on. Well, I, uh, I, I don't get it, Liz. I'll call up and tell them we're working late. And you make a noise in the background like a party is going on with men and women having a gay time. How can I make a noise like that? <laughs> Force yourself. Now, here's the phone. Now, don't start till I give you the sign. Remember. Okay. Hello? Hello, George. Liz. It's the girl. Good. Uh, are you finished? Do you want us to come down for you? Uh, no, we're not finished, George. We're still working. Oh, no kidding. Uh -huh. Well, uh, how long will it be? Well, I just can't say, dear. There's a lot of work to be done. It piles up, you know. Go ahead, Iris. Iris, let's face it, you're gorgeous. <laughs> well, uh, I'll be home as soon as I can, George. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Uh, are you sure you're working? Uh, what's all that noise in the background? Hooray! Yahoo! <laughs> what noise? <laughs> Come here, you. <laughs> the dishwashers. Well, I have to go now, dear. The sinks are loaded. <laughs> Sounds like the dishwashers are, too. <laughs> are you sure you're washing dishes? Uh, wait a minute, dear. Quiet, fellas. Do you think my husband's stupid or something? <laughs> oh, tell him to hang up. Come on, baby. Let's dance. <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> well, goodbye, George. Liz, where are you? I'm working. Liz, you come home this minute. Baby, don't you think I'd rather be there with you than slaving down here? Iris, let's face it. You're gorgeous. <laughs> Liz, I'm coming down to get you. Well, uh, we're not at the restaurant. We, we met a nice man who had some dishes to wash in his apartment. <laughs> what? Well, you just stay there. We'll call you when we're through. Goodbye. Liz! Liz! <laughs> oh, Iris, he fell for like a ton of bricks. <laughs> Iris, where are you? Looking for your friend? Yeah, where'd she go? The bartender put her out. She was... She was plastered. <laughs> She was perfectly all right Sure That's why she was hugging that palm tree And saying, let's face it, you're gorgeous George, will you please sit down? You're making me dizzy stalking back and forth Well, don't look What? Well, don't look, sir uh. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry, I can't help it. It's, it's been two hours since they phoned. Well, I'm not worried. Don't you see what they're doing? 
Trying to get even with us for that dishwashing trick. Yeah, but I heard party sounds in the background. Imagination. Now, when they do come home, we'll really throw a scare into them. Oh. We'll give them an equal right. The right to get out and earn a living for the family while we go to teas and have our hair done. <laughs> oh, that's real dirty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they couldn't take us up on it. In the meantime, you don't see me worrying about that party they're supposed to be on. Oh, gee, I wish I had your control. Uh, it's really wisdom, boy. <laughs> ringing, Liz. Hello? Rudolph, how are you? Yippee! Come on, everybody! Conga! You got the badum boy! Yeah! <laughs> Iris? Uh, I just wanted to tell you we're still working, honey. Listen, they're playing our song. Come here, Red. You fracture me. Where are you? Working, honey. In the office. You haven't got an office. <laughs> Iris, you get back here this minute. You're not fooling me. I know where you... You get... You... you, you come on. <laughs> Goodbye, dear. I'll be there as soon as I can. All right, girls, outside. They're still here. I can smell their cigars. Or is that you? <laughs> Don't mention that word. Well, so here you are. Yes, I'm so sorry that work took so long. Well, this is a fine time to be getting home. Well, you often get home this late. Equal rights, remember? Oh, yes, we remember. In fact, we're all for it. Well, we're tired of working, and you seem to enjoy it so much tonight that... We're going to let you go out and earn the living for us. Now, see here, Rudolph, that's going too far. I refuse. Uh, 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 wait a minute, Iris. You don't either. We accept. Well, Liz, it isn't fair. Oh, yes, it is. Remember, George and Mr. Atterbury have to stay home and do the housework and the cooking. Yeah! Oh, now, wait a minute. This whole thing has gone too far. I refuse. Uh, 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 uh. Boy, hold it, hold it. We accept. Why, we can do the housework and cooking with one potholder tied behind us. What makes you so sure? Well, I'll do exactly what you do. I'll loll around in a housecoat with my hair up in curlers, munching bonbons, and about five o'clock I'll yell, Hilda, put something on for dinner! <laughs> And I can do the same thing with Katie. It's a deal. Starting tomorrow? Why not? Okay. <laughs> well, what's so funny? Tomorrow's Thursday. It's Meg's day off. Oh, oh. <laughs> 
Yes, Lucille. Uh, do we travel tonight? Do we travel tonight? Hold on tight, Robert. We're off for merry old England. A little roast beef music, Willie. Well, here I am in England. Oh, uh, uh, pardon me. What town is this? Is it uh, Nottingham-on-Thames? Uh, no. Is it Stratford-on-Avon? What's that? I, I said, is it, is it Stratford-on-Avon? Uh, no. Well, what is it? It's uh, creeping up on commercial. <laughs> you see, uh, that's uh, right near pudding on jello. Pudding on jello? Oh, that's very good. I wish I'd said that. You just did. Oh, poo, I knew I'd heard it someplace. Look, madam, I'd like to test your British sense of humor. Oh, pip, pip, chiddy-o, here we go, knock it. All right, now listen. I'm looking at a picture of someone in my family. It's not my father, it's not my mother, it's not my sister, and it's not my brother. Who is it? Oh, that's very good. Now, just a second. Who is it? Well, how should I know, old Bean? You didn't show me the picture. <laughs> oh, what's the use? It's a picture of me. Oh, I thought it might have something to do with jello puddings. <laughs> Let me try it on my friend here. Oh, Clement. Yes, yes, did you call me? I'm looking at a picture of a relative, you see. It's not my father, it's not my mother, it's not my sister, nor my brother. Who is it? Uh, it's you. No, it isn't. It's him. <laughs> oh, it is. It is, of course. How stupid of me. Stupid. Of me. <laughs> well, now, stupid. <laughs> well, now, now, I have one for you. What puddings are a trio of treats, nourishing and a swell dessert for the kids? Well got up. <laughs> Give me a hint. The answer is jello puddings. Jello chocolate pudding, delicious with deep down chocolatey goodness. Jello butterscotch pudding with that buttery brown sugar flavor. And jello vanilla pudding, rich and smooth as cream. These Americans know everything. <laughs> Cut him dead. Now, now, riddle me this. Uh, all you do is add milk, and jello puddings take only about five minutes to cook to velvety rich perfection. Splendid, splendid. I don't think that's much of a riddle. I know you blasted colonial, but it keeps us working. Good night. <laughs> Be sure to listen to Lucille Ball in My Favorite Husband again next week. Bob Lamont speaking. Transcribed over CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That was My Favorite Husband, as originally heard March 3rd, 1950. Name of that episode was Women's Rights, and that was just part one of two. And we'll hear part two next time. I was never as big of a Lucille Ball fan as some people. 
I always found her a little brassy, but boy, there's no question that she was talented. And certainly she and Desi Arnaz had a lot to do with the way television programs were produced. I Love Lucy was really groundbreaking in that area. Weren't they the ones that first introduced the three-camera process? I think that's right. Well, we were talking a little bit about uh, how people were trying to adjust the law in 1950 to pass a, a women's equal rights bill. The Senate passed it, but the House, however, failed to act. In 1951, the 22nd Amendment was ratified, but it had nothing to do with women's rights. Instead, that was the amendment that limited the number of terms any individual could serve as president. In the late 1960s, however, a new wave of feminism, perhaps inspired by the Civil Rights Movement and also Betty Friedan's book, The Feminine Mystique, came on the scene. And this led to the formation of the National Organization for Women, or NOW, which played a major role in lobbying for what was called the Equal Rights Amendment, or the ERA. The key provisions of the proposed amendment declared that equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Well, the House of Representatives passed the ERA, and the Senate quickly followed suit by another wide margin. Congress then established March 22, 1979, as the deadline for ratification. And what is it? In order to be ratified, I believe two-thirds of the states have to agree to it and show that in the polling booth. They have to vote for ratification. In the following three months, 20 states voted for ratification. And by 1977, 35 states had approved of the amendment. But it was about that time that Phyllis Schlafly formed an anti-ERA organization. And she started arguing that passage of the ERA would deny women many privileges they enjoyed under state and federal law. Shaftley suggested that the ERA would be detrimental to women because, one, it could force them into combat. Two, it would allow for government-funded abortions. Three, it would require private schools and sports teams become co-educational. Four, it would legalize gay marriage and gay adoption. Five, it would eliminate the segregation of public restrooms on the basis of sex. Meanwhile, ERA proponents were focusing on equal pay for equal work. Well, on October 6th in 1978, both houses of Congress voted to extend the time period for ratification until 1982. But despite the extension, the amendment failed to achieve the approval of the 38 states required for ratification. However, meantime, in 1971, a case came before the United States Supreme Court, Reed versus the United States. And in that, the uh, Supreme Court ruled that the 14th Amendment, which says basically, no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. The Supreme Court ruled that this amendment offered equal protection to men and women and thus prohibited discrimination on the basis of sex. Well, of course, none of this is new to you if you're a baby boomer, because after all, you lived through it. Too much to go back and pretend 
Cause I've heard it all before And I've been down there on the floor No one's ever gonna keep me down again Well, yes, I'm wise But it's wisdom for the pain Yes, I paid the price But look how much I gained If I have to, I can do anything I am strong It only serves to make me more determined to achieve my final goal And I come back even stronger Not a novice any longer Cause you've deepened the conviction in my soul Oh yes, I am wise But it's wisdom born of pain Yes, I pay the price But look how much I Me. 
was Helen Reddy with the song from the early 70s that uh, really became the anthem for the Equal Rights Amendment, or Women's Lib, as it was often referred to. And that was followed up by Janice Ian with a song, very touching song she wrote, a poem, really, called At Seventeen. And that song became much identified with the idea that women should not be objectified by their appearance, that there was a lot more to women than beauty. And both of those became very, very popular songs with a message in the early to mid-70s. Now. 
you know what that music means. That music means it is time for us to travel back to Dodge City, Kansas in the 1870s. Time for another episode of Gunsmoke, where we're going to actually walk right up Front Street, shoulder to shoulder with Marshal Matt Dillon. Along the way, no doubt we'll meet up with Doc and Kitty and Chester and the whole gang on Gunsmoke. Have a really fun one tonight. This one is entitled Dirty Bill's Girl. And I'm not going to try to spoil any surprises in this one. But I will say this, that uh, I always love westerns about women gamblers. You're going to enjoy this one. It was originally broadcast on October 28th in 1956 on CBS. Enjoy Dirty Bill's Girl. Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun smoke. Starring William Conrad, the transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America, and the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal, the first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. Her name was Rose, and she was pretty. And that's all anybody in Dodge knew about the girl. She'd come in on the stage from the South a month before and opened a blackjack table in the Long Branch, working on a 50-50 split with a house. The game got a big play, of course. A woman gambler was a new thing in Dodge. And some of the smartest and crookedest card men in town started coming around to try their luck. But with Rose dealing, a house never lost. And after a three-week run of that kind of luck, I figured it was time to look into things. Oh, doggone it, Matt. We've been sitting here for an hour and a half. How long is it going to take to catch her cheating? Doc, we're not going to catch her. We're not? Now, the way she handles that deck, we could sit here till doomsday and never see a thing. Well, maybe she's dealing honest. Yeah, maybe... Uh, Chester. Yes, sir. Oh, yeah, Chester. Maybe he noticed something. You know, playing right there at the table with her. That's the last place in the world to spot a crooked game, Doc. I swear, I just don't know what you could have been thinking of, Mr. Dillon. Why, she's as nice a young lady as you'd ever care to meet. Uh, how much did she let you win, Chester? $14.20. Yeah. 
Yeah, but that ain't got nothing to do with it. I watched her every second. All right, all right, Chester. Who was the heavy loser then? Well, that Elko Dean must have lost about $200 before he pulled out. But yes, by betting foolish, Mr. Dillon, why, he didn't have no more reason to do what uh-huh. he done. Than Who else? Well, the ones there now, I reckon young Slim Raddick's out about 150 as the game stands. Now, he's been losing every night for two weeks, the way I hear it. Well, he gets to making calf eyes at Rose and don't pay no attention to his cards. Oh, yeah, maybe that's how she does it, Matt. She gets them so all fired up over it that, that they don't care if school keeps an eye. Well, somebody like young Raddick may be, but not the professional gamblers, Doc. Now, you sit on for a while, Chester. I'm going over and talk to her. What you sip on? Seventeen showing. Another card is ten. Hit me again. And it is. Six of hearts, twenty-three and busted. <laughs> Much obliged to you, Mr. Raddick. You doggone sure ought to be. Seems all I do. Oh, evening, Marshal. Hello, Slim. Your luck turning on him? It ain't turning no way. Been against me right along. Then maybe you won't mind if I interrupt the game for a while. That is, with your permission, ma'am. I'd like to talk to you. Why not? All right, gentlemen, the game is closed. If you want to step over to the bar, the drinks are on me. Well, how about it, Marshal? Do I get a clean bill of health? Along what lines, Rose? Mm, running a square game. You've been watching me like a hawk for the last hour and a half. Every deal, every move I made. Did you see anything off color? Well, I saw Elko Dean slip a cold deck in on you. <laughs> so did I. But I'll give you ten to one. You didn't see me slip it right back out. <laughs> no, as a matter of fact, I didn't. Neither did Elko. And that mistake cost him $230. More eventually, because he'll be back here tomorrow night trying to get even. Uh, so the game is crooked, huh? Marshal, the man who taught me how to handle cards used to say, you can't cheat an honest man, Rose, so don't bother to try. But a crook is fair game any day. Uh-huh. Tell me something, Rose. How does that fit young Raddock? Slim? Yeah. <laughs> That's different. Different how? He's been losing steady here at your table. It can't all be bad luck. I've tried to keep him away. I told him over and over again to stay out of it and leave me alone. Stay out of what, Rose? Ah, it doesn't matter. Here, Marshal. Take a look. Go on, count it if you want to. That's the money I've taken from Slim. $2,642. And when I leave Dodge, you'll get it all back. Every cent of it. Can I ask you something, Rose? What's a girl like you doing in this business, anyway? Hmm? Earning a living, for one thing. Now, there are other ways, you know. None that I know as well. Besides, it lets me cover a lot of country. Look people over. Why is that so important? I'll tell you why, Marshal. I've spent four years now looking for one certain man. Now, you won't quit till you find him, huh? I found him. Tonight. Oh? What happens now? I'm going to kill him.
just as well ordered jerky. You, do, do you know something, Mr. Dillon? No, no, what, Justin? The doggone ham you get nowadays ain't nothing like it used to be. Oh, is that so? Well, just look at that. My land, they don't even half smoke it anymore. Just put on more salts, all they do. Well, it's better inside meat, anyhow. Why, even down in Texas, we used to smoke our meat at least two days. How are you, Marshal? Chester? Oh, morning, Slim. Oh, Slim. You had breakfast yet? Well, I'm aiming to right now. Oh, pull up a chair and join us, huh? Thanks, Marshal. My, you must have made a night of it. Didn't even get back to the ranch, huh? Oh, the ranch will keep. I have some eggs and ham, Jeff. Try it away, Slim. Yeah. Say, maybe if you ain't tried this ham before, you ought to think twice. I've tried it, Chester. Most every morning out at my place. Jeff here buys all his meat from me. Oh. Well, <clears throat> it sure is a whole lot better than side meat. Uh, uh, how's the ranch coming along, Slim? Uh, yeah, had a good year? Best one yet. Mm -hmm. First time the place has brung me any hard cash. Feels mighty good to hear a few eagles jingling in your pocket. <laughs> you know, uh, might jingle some louder if you stayed clear of that blackjack table. Uh, my luck's bound to change. Uh, not with Rose, Dillon. She's warned you already, I understand. Told you to keep out of the game. I guess I'm a stubborn man, Marshal. Here's some coffee while you're waiting, Slim. Oh. Slim, what are you after? <sighs> well, it's like this... Been five years now since I took that leased land up there on Bitter Creek. And I spent five winters out there all alone. That ain't good for a man. I need me a wife on the place. Huh? When'd you decide that? Three weeks ago. First time I seen Rose. Oh. How does she feel about it? Hard to say. She got something on her mind that won't let her think of nothing else. Yeah, I know, Slim. She told me that she aims to kill a man. That's so. You wouldn't know her last name, would you? I never asked her. You know where she comes from? Nope. Any idea who the man might be? Marshal, if I did, I reckon I'd up and kill him myself. Just to make Rose happy. You're just the man I was looking for. How are you Doc? Yes, here, sit down. Sit down, Matt. You're just in time. Hard time for what? A poker game. We got these two drummers here, fresh off the Santa Fe from St. Louis. Oh, Matt, they're as green as grass. So help me, Doc. If you'd sweat as hard over healing the sick as you do trying to clip some tenderfoot, well, we'd have this a This town's never been healthier, thanks to me. Matt, you got a minute? <laughs> yeah, sure, Kitty. I'll see you later, Doc. Yeah, maybe later. It'll be too late, too. Oh, man, then you'll be sorry. I'm sorry to break in that way. Oh, that's all right, Kitty. Matt, I just found out. Oh, found out what? About Rose, who she is. Oh? Matt, she's Bill Prawley's daughter. Bill Prawley? That's right. The gambler who was killed in Liberal four or five years ago. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, I remember. Rose Prawley, her name is. Bill Prawley's daughter, huh? Who told you, Kitty? A uh, mule skinner came in tonight. He saw a deal on the table out in New Mexico last year. Yeah, and I guess that explains a lot of things about her. It explains one thing, Matt. 
I haven't told anybody, of course, but the word will get around. And once it does, she's through here. Nobody's going to buck a game run by Dirty Bill Prawley's kid. They'll know it's crooked. Maybe the word's already out. I noticed Slim Raddock's pulled out of the game. He's standing over there at the bar. Well, she threw him out, along with all the other players except Elko Dean. She said it was a private game. I guess Elko wants to get back the money he lost last night. Say, Mr. Dillon? Yeah, what is it, Justin? Well, something kindly funny happened. You know that sawed-off shotgun Sam keeps behind the bar, the one with the pistol grip? Yeah, what about it? Well, it's gone, and Sam thinks maybe it was Rose that took it. Rose? Yeah, but that don't make sense. Her and Elko were just sitting over there at the blackjack table looking at each other. Neither one of them made... What's the matter, Mr. Dillon? We're about to have a killing on our hands, Chester. Matt, what are we going to do? I don't know, Kitty. What do you think she's planning? Well, I can guess. Chester, is Sam sure that Rose took that shotgun? He says she come back to the bar just before he missed it. Yeah. She could have hit it in the fold of her skirt. Elko's looking pretty white, Matt. Yeah, just look at him sitting over there facing each other. You know, ten to one, she's got that shotgun under the table pointed at him. Can't you slip up behind her, Matt? Grab her before she can use it? A uh, shotgun's not like a pistol, Kitty. All you gotta do is point in the general direction of your target. Yeah, but why she want to kill Elko? Uh, revenge, I guess. Chester, did uh, Slim Raddock hear about her having the gun? No, sir, nobody didn't. Sam called me to one side. Good. Word got around, somebody would be sure to lose his head and touch the whole thing off. That's gonna happen anyway, Matt. Elko's starting to get restless. He's sure gonna make a move soon. Well, it'll be his last one if he does. Matt! Oh, Matt! These plums are just ripe for the picking. <laughs> I can't hold up the game all night for you. I'm sorry, Doc. I'm busy. Oh, well, long as you feel that way about Doc, it. Doc, you don't understand. Oh? Well, only one way to handle it, I guess. No, you stay there, Chester. Yes, sir. Be careful, Matt. Will somebody tell me what's going on here? Good evening, Rose. I'm sorry, Marshal. Table's closed. Oh? It's uh, not closed to Elko there. Marshal, she's... Shut up. <laughs> Elko and me have a, have a personal game going, Marshal. Yeah, I know. Better hand over the gun, Rose. Sit down. Sit down and put your hand flat on the table, Marshal. Same as Elko's got his. Good. Now keep him there. I guess you know this is a shotgun I'm covering you both with. Underneath the table. Yeah, I know that. But why'd you come over here if you knew that... Keep your voice down, Elko. Why didn't you shoot her from where you were standing? She's aiming to kill me, Marshal. Yeah, I figured that was about the way things stood. I knew I'd find him someday if I just kept traveling and kept on dealing cards. And last night it happened. I recognized him the minute he sat down at my table. I knew he'd be back tonight, and I was ready for him when he come. Now you mean to kill him, huh? She's crazy, Marshal. She's out of her Keep head. Keep your hands on that table. I mean to kill him. Why, Rose? If you knew me, if you knew who I am, you'd understand... I do what... know, Rose, you're Bill Prawley's daughter. That's right. Dirty Bill's daughter. Look, Rose... Oh, don't... I know what they called him. Dirty Bill Prawley. 
hold of cheap little tin horns that tried to cheat him and lost their shirt doing it. They're cowards. And that's the only way they could hit back. Give a dog a bad name and shoot him for mad. Take her, Marshal. She's gone clean Shut out of up, my mind. Shut up, before you get us both killed. My father was a fine man, and anybody that says different is a liar. Marshal. That night he was killed, I was upstairs asleep, and the shots woke me up. I looked out of my window, and I saw a man run out the front door with a gun still in his hand. I saw him for just a second in the light from the door. But I never forget his face. Elko here, huh? That's him. Don't listen to her, Marshal. She's lying. It's a job for the law now, Rose. Now you walk away from this table, Marshal. Stay clear of this. I got nothing against you personally. I want your gun, Rose. Sorry. The hand's played out. No, not yet. It isn't. I got a hold card. Hey, Slim. Slim Raddock. Marshal. Yeah, Marshal? Come here a minute, will you? What do you think you're doing now? Marshal, you... Hold it, Elko. Keep your hands on the table. What's going on? Get away, Slim. Stay back. Right here, Slim, between me and Elko, huh? No. That's right. What's the matter, Rose? Oh, you fool. All right, Rose, you were planning to give him back his money, so he must mean something to you. And he's in it now, too. The way a shotgun works, it's all three of us or none of us. Now, you hand over that gun. No. Oh, Slim, why didn't you stay clear? Now, what's this all about? Rose, I want that gun, and I want it now. <laughs> you knew I couldn't. You knew I couldn't, not with him in it. Well, I was sure hoping you couldn't. Chester. Here, put this in the back of the bar, will you? Yes, Mr. Jones. It wasn't fair, Marshal. It was Jane. Sometimes you have to cheat, Rose. Get her out of here, Slim. And if you take my advice, you'll keep her out of here. Don't you worry about that. Come on, Rose. Matty, if that wasn't the doggonest thing I ever saw. Hey, Elko! Wait a minute. No. I said, wait a minute, you're under arrest. You're not taking me in, Marshal. Look out, he's got a gun! Drop it, drop that gun! Oh, Oh, Matt, uh, I guess a man's luck can't last forever. Uh, It sure didn't, did it? Now, William Conrad. You know, when they buried a man out on the high plains, they usually wrapped him in his saddle blanket and forgot about him. But next week, a man dies and leaves a will that keeps the whole of Dodge from forgetting him. And that was the West. Gunsmoke, produced and directed by Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. The script was specially written for Gunsmoke by Les Crutchfield, with editorial supervision by John Meston. The music was composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Ray Kemper and Bill James. Featured in the cast were Virginia Christine, Vic Perrin, and John Daner. 
Marley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Join us again next week for another specially transcribed story on Gunsmoke. episode was Dirty Bill's Girl, as originally heard on CBS back on the 28th of October in 1956. And of course, Dirty Bill's Girl was played by Virginia Christine, who was a most prolific radio actress in the 40s, late 40s, but mostly in the 50s. But probably her best claim to fame came a few years later when she portrayed Mrs. Olson the Folgers Coffee Lady on television. Remember Mrs. Olson? There was actually a girl I went to high school with that was in one of those Mrs. Olson commercials. Remember, it would always be like a young wife coming to Mrs. Olson for help because she just couldn't make good coffee to satisfy her husband. Oh boy, no wonder there was a women's lib movement, huh? Well, of course, as always, we'll have another episode of Gunsmoke in two weeks when we get back together. I told you the PTA's coming tonight, George. I'm too busy for nonsense. PTA, huh? Uh, gonna serve your coffee? If you joke about my coffee again, you hear Mrs. Olson? Like a broken record. <laughs> well, as one committee member to another, maybe you should try Folgers coffee. Why Folgers? They blend it special. Folgers uses mountain-grown coffee. Mountain-grown? Yeah, that's the richest kind. Bet your husband tastes the difference. Mrs. Olson, I'll try Folgers on him tonight. How about another cup, honey? You second on my coffee? Tastes kind of great tonight. See? No trick to making coffee. All you need is a better coffee. Folgers. Try Folgers. The Mountain Grown Coffee. Mountain Grown for better flavor. It was Della and a dealer and a dog named Jake and a cat named Kalamazoo. Left the city in a pickup truck, gonna make some dreams come true. Yeah, they rolled out west where the wild sun sets in the coyote base of the moon. Della and the dealer and a dog named Jake and a cat named Kalamazoo. That cat could talk, what tales he tell about Della and the dealer and the dog as well. But the cat was cool and he never said a mumbling word. Down Tucson, we there's a small cafe where they play a little cowboy tune. 
And the guitar picker was a friend of mine by the name of Randy Boone. Yeah, Randy played her a sweet love song and Della got a fire in her eyes. The dealer had a knife and the dog had a gun and the cat had a shot of rice. Of the fire in her eyes He snorted his coat Through a century note And he swore that Boone would die And the stage was set When the lights went out There was death in Tucson town Two shadows ran For the far back door And one stayed on the ground If that cat could talk What tales he'd tell About death and the Turns are staring out the window at the darkness. The boredom overtook us, and he began to speak. He said, Son, I've made a life out of reading people's faces, knowing what the cards were by the way they held their eyes. So if you don't mind my saying, I can see you're out of aces for a taste of your whiskey. I'll give you some advice So I handed him my bottle And he drank down my last swallow Then he bombed a cigarette And asked me for a light And the night got deathly quiet And his face lost all expression Said if you're gonna play the game, boy You gotta learn to play it right You got no when to hold it Know when to fold up, know when to walk away, and know when to run. You never count your money. When you're sitting at the table, there'll be time enough for counting. 
when the dealing's done. Every gambler knows that the secret to surviving is knowing what to throw away, knowing what to keep. Cause every hand's a winner and every hand's a loser. The best that you can hope for is to die in sleep. And when he finished speaking, he turned back toward the window, crushed out a cigarette, faded off to sleep. And somewhere in the darkness, the gambler he broke even. But in his final words, I found an ace that I could keep. You got no way to hold up. Know when to fall down, know when to walk away, and know when to run. You never count your money. When you're sitting at the table, there'll be time enough to count. When the dealing's done, you got to know when to hold. When the hold, know when to fall down, know when to walk away, and know when to run. You never count your money When you're sitting at the table There'll be time enough for counting When the dealing's done You got to know when to hold up Know when to fold up Know when to walk away Know when to run You never count your money When you're sitting at the table There'll be time enough for counting Well, in honor of Dirty Bill's Girl, we did a couple gambler songs there that we pulled out of our boomer files. The first one was Della and the Dealer by Hoyt Axton. And of course, that was followed up by Kenny Rogers and his big, big hit, The Gambler. Chester is waving at us with his bright red arms telling me that we're all out of time. So I'm going to gather up all of our shows and records and carry them back into the vault. back in two weeks and we will do it all over again and I look forward to you coming back and joining us. I hope you enjoyed our selections tonight. We will be playing part two of that uh, My Favorite Husband on women's rights next week. We'll have another episode of Gunsmoke and I'm not too sure exactly what we're going to kick off the show with but we'll find something good I guess. Alright everybody this is Bob Bro. And I'll see you in two weeks. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I am so glad you met me. Sadly, we lost Glenn Campbell this week, and to close out the show, we're going to play one of his most famous tunes. Thank mm-hmm. you.
I'm a lineman for the county And I drive the main road Searching in the sun for another overload I hear you singing in the wire I can hear you through the wine And the Wichita lineman Is still on the line I need a small vacation But it don't look like rain And if it snows that stretch down south Won't ever stand the strain And I need you more than want you And I want you for all time And the Wichita lineman is still on the line.